0: Everyone, this is Tony Brown, host of the Firearms Cafe podcast. Today is September 7th, 2008. First, let me say thanks to everyone who stuck it out with me during the changes to the show. I hope that it hasn't caused anyone any inconvenience and that the change to the new feed has gone smoothly for everyone. In the last show, or I guess rather I should say in the last announcement, I said that I would go into more detail about why I wanted to produce this show. Initially, when I first contacted Mark, It was with the intent to get information on what I would need to do to be able to get a podcast going. Now, as it would happen, this was also uh, the same time that the Gun Rights Radio Network was pretty much getting started. And because of this, Mark had some uh, open slots, so to speak. Uh, Mark gave me lots of info on uh, kind of how and where to get started. He also offered that I could do a guest host episode or episodes on his show or uh, he could produce my show if things seemed too overwhelming for me at first. Well, after I started doing research on what it would take to get everything going, I knew that it would be such a big learning curve for me that I would not be able to start putting out a show for quite a while. In fact, if if I had to do it on my own, I might have said, well, the heck with it, and just not done anything. So I contacted Mark, and after uh, we talked for a while, I took him up on his offer to produce the show for me and the main reason was that I was you know very excited about the Gun Rights Radio Network I thought that was a fantastic idea and I wanted to be a part of that sooner rather than later so let's take a look at what goes into producing the show the way it was set up when Mark was producing was that I would record the show do all of my edits and when I was happy with what I had I would email Mark and uh, send him the MP3 file with a description and any uh, links or show notes that I wanted put in. Now once Mark got the show he would need to go to the website uh, post the new show add the links and then make sure that everything worked out okay and then you guys as the listeners would be able to get the new show. If you have a website it has to be hosted somewhere. Um, There are free hosting sites But sometimes the people or the company who hosts your site, if they're doing it for free, may have ownership of it. And could, in theory, delete your content if they felt that you had violated maybe one of their policies. Uh, Or more likely would be that they might say that you can't move your site or your content to a new hosting service if you were unhappy with them, um, or if you'd simply just found a better hosting site. So to make sure that all the content is yours, it's always best to to pay for a hosting service. Uh, Now, Some of you out there are pretty tech savvy and know that it's not all that difficult to set up a website and get the episodes up on the site for people to listen to. But if you've never done anything like that before and I hadn't, um, everything is so new and I would question you know pretty much every keystroke and mouse click and, and that type of thing. So the number one reason is that I knew that Mark was and still is really busy. He has lots of ideas and lots of things that he wants to do and try out. And I started feeling bad that he was having to give up a certain amount of his time and his money uh, so that I could have a show. I contacted Mark and I told him that I, I wanted to produce the show and take responsibility for the updating of the, of the website and for any costs involved. So in, in typical Mark fashion, he said, hey, no problem, and he set out to help me get things set up. You know, another reason was that the site is set up as a blog through, uh, I guess the program or the software would be called WordPress. And this makes it really easy to go on every day if you wanted to, and you could add content. If I found, let's say, a video on YouTube or some article that I wanted to link to on the site, I can just go in and add that. I felt, And I felt that as time went on, as I got more and more shows, I would have more and more content and more things that I wanted to put out, and that I would be constantly kind of bothering Mark, you know, saying, Well, can you update this? Can you do this for me? So, again, there was no falling out or philosophical differences. And, like I said in the last announcement, I felt that since this was something that I could do, it was something that I should do. Uh, I have the capabilities to produce the show and, and do it on my own, so I needed to go ahead and take care of that. So now uh, it's up and running, the site and the show, and things are looking good. Uh, my understanding of how things work is, is much better, uh, but I'm sure that I'll have to be asking Mark for, for help from time to time in the future. So on with uh, today's show, and after this quick message... We'll be right back. The forums are a great place to interact with the podcasters and other listeners to your favorite podcast. Visit gunrightsradio.com and click on the forums button at the bottom of the page and sign up for your free membership. Gunrightsradio.com I live in Arizona, and just one of the many great things about living here is that you can get into your truck or car And within two, maybe three hours, you can be in a totally different environment. Uh, You know, not too long ago, my family and I went to Greer, which is uh, kind of a mountain town. Uh, I live down in the Phoenix area. And as uh, my friend Eric from the Handgun Podcast can tell you, it gets really hot here, you know, as well as it does down in Eric's neck of the desert. Oh, and you know, by the way, I want to give a quick shout out to Eric. Man, you are doing just an awesome job. I really enjoyed listening to your show, so I wanted to give you kind of, kind of some props there, little brother. So when we left Phoenix, when we went up to the, the mountain town, which was Greer, when we left Phoenix, it was about probably about 115 degrees. Uh, a few hours later, when we drove into the Greer area, it was raining and it was about 60 degrees. So you know, I left one place and then basically 55 degree drop in temperature later, we're up in Greer. And during our time up there, I think the hottest that it got was about maybe 78 degrees. So again, simply by driving around for two or three hours, your needs can totally change. And if you got into trouble, what you had in your truck or car that was appropriate and would have been useful to you in that 115 degree heat, May not really be what you need in that mountain area when it's raining or snowing, and you need some type of shelter and a way to make a fire. So, you know, kind of again, if you were out four wheeling and you broke down and you didn't have enough water and you had to walk out because you'd gone out by yourself and didn't tell anyone, you know, you could be in some serious, serious trouble, like really, you know, life threatening stuff in just a matter of hours. And I'll share a story that happened to me a few months ago. I had decided to go out shooting, and I was going to go out in the desert. And where I went was a place that you could easily drive to. Once you get there, you get off the main road, and you go down a dirt road about two miles. And you pull off into a kind of a flat area, and then off away from there is a large berm. That's about probably six, seven feet high, and that makes a really good backstop Um, the area is on BLM or state or public land and the reason that that's important is because when I got there the area was closed to vehicle traffic but it was still open to people if you wanted to hike in uh, or you could ride a bicycle in it or you could um, you know take a horse in and they completely closed it to motorized vehicles because what happens is as people over time go out there and use the roads and everything it kind of gets torn up and so they close it for two or three year period to sort of let the let the land recuperate but the reality is the reason that it it really got closed was that people go out there and they go off the marked roads and trails and they tear up the land and they don't clean anything up and that type of thing but that may be a, a topic for another show but so anyway back to the story so since I expected to drive right up to my shooting area, I had only brought uh, maybe two 16-ounce bottles of water with me. Usually, I'll take a, a Camelback and I've got the 100-ounce bladder and I fill that up with you know icy cold water. Um, so I got there and it was hot, and it was overcast, and it was it was still pretty early in the morning. And I went back and forth in my head as to whether I should walk in and shoot or just say, oh, well, you know, I'll I'll come back and it's time to head home and and I'll come back and shoot some other time. Uh, So what do you think I did? Well, you guessed it, I decided that I'm going to walk in, meaning that i got to hump all my stuff in there with me and then hump it all out. So I gather up all my stuff and start the trek into the shooting spot get out to the spot no problem and start to shoot Uh, now it it was hot and but it it wasn't that bad yet and it was still pretty overcast and after I'd say I'd been shooting for maybe probably five ten minutes at the most all that nice overcast weather went away and the sun came out and it got very very hot very very fast so I stopped shooting, gathered up my stuff, and started to walk out. On the way in, I had drank one of my bottles of water, so I still had one left, but I I really can't relate how hot it had gotten. Um, I guess kind of a good example of that was when I went to collect my brass. I had to put my gloves on because the sun had heated them up so much that they were really too hot to touch. Um, uh, That time of year, of course, there's no moisture in the air, so that you don't really get any benefit from sweating, it just it evaporates off of you instantly. Uh, and the area that I was in is pretty much totally flat. There's only little scrub brushes, uh, bushes, rather, and there's no, there's no shade to speak of. And as I'm walking back, the sun is just beating down on me. And, and you might say, you know, ah, eh, two miles, it's not that far. But in that type of heat, it just seemed like it took forever and I since I had to carry everything in I had a five gallon old paint bucket in one hand that I had about 200 rounds of ammo some cleaning stuff uh, and my other bottle of water and in my other hand I had my rifle in its small case and the reason that that was in a case is because I it was so new that I hadn't had a chance to get a sling for it yet now obviously I made it back out okay, but I had to stop and rest on on the way back a number of times and had to ration out my water, just take a few sips of water at a time, just to try and keep uh, a little bit hydrated and try to keep off getting, uh, you know, what they'll call it like heat stroke or they'll call it heat exhaustion out here. Um, but had I not had even that small amount of water and, and been able to keep focused on what I needed to do it could have turned out really bad for me. If I had fallen and twisted an ankle or got turned around it could have been a whole different ball game. What can we learn from my little adventure in the desert? And the number one thing is is that I should have listened to that little voice in my head that said you know what just call it a day and shoot some other time you know, but I didn't do that. I listened instead to that other voice that said, look, you're already here. Don't waste a trip. Just walk in there and and you can shoot. And you you walk in there and if it gets tough, you just suck it up and you gut it out and, and you'll, you'll be fine. So I sort of let my pride get in the way of some of my common sense. And another thing is, is that I should have brought the right equipment for my surroundings, and by that I mean that I should have had more than just the the bare minimum, and that I feel was my biggest mistake, because if I had had the right amount of water with me, if I'd had a sling on the rifle, if I'd had a uh, a pack with me that I could have put some of my other stuff in, walking out would have been a lot easier. You know, our, our needs can change due to not only where we are but when we're at that place and this applies to self-defense and and personal protection as well you know that kind of stuff can depend on you know again where and when we are Uh, just like you need certain clothes in the winter as opposed to summer you may need to carry a, a, a different gun or a different holster depending on your surroundings so you know if we look at what is the right equipment for concealed carry we need to look at it in the same way as if we were going camping and winter camping is, is different than summer you obviously need different equipment for each and if we if we can apply that to firearms what works great for me as carry equipment in one situation may not be enough for another and what may be right for you to carry in the supermarket may not be right for you to carry in church and. You know, that kind of thing got me to thinking that as a people or as a culture, a gun culture that carries a firearm for for protection on a daily basis, that when we are carrying, our needs can change quickly due to the environment that we are in. Uh, Our ability to defend and to protect ourselves and our families can change and can change rapidly and, and drastically. Here in Arizona, if you go into a restaurant that serves alcohol, you can't take your gun in with you. If you go on to school grounds uh, to either drop your kid off or pick him up or for a meeting there at school, you can't take your gun in with you. If you go into uh, certain stores, they may have it posted, no firearms allowed. You can't take your gun in with you. Uh, you know, while I'm thinking about the restaurant, let me take a quick aside here and talk about that issue. Uh, Basically the way that the the law states here is that you are not able to carry a firearm into any establishment that sells alcohol for consumption on the premises. So in a nutshell, any place where you can can buy alcohol and you can drink it where you bought it that equals no guns. Not too long ago and I'm, I'm not 100% on this, so if, if I got a little bit wrong, maybe somebody can correct me. There was a bill that was trying to make it possible here for people to carry into places that sell for consum- you know, that, that sell uh, alcohol for consumption on the premises. And basically, what it said was that you could take a firearm into those places, but you couldn't consume, uh, of course, any alcohol while you were armed. And also, the business or restaurant or bar had to post a sign that stated it was okay for people to enter if they were armed Uh, and some people said that if that had passed it would have been a good a good first step and I'm kinda about 50 50 with that I mean I know you gotta get your foot in the door Um, and also most of people would would agree that the intent of the bill was to allow uh, people who had their concealed carry permits to be able to go into an Olive Garden or an Outback or a pizza place and still be able to defend themselves uh, and their families. and But most people don't want that applied uh, to bars. And then they would say, well, all you have to do is make the bill say in restaurants only. And one of the problems that you get with that is that it has to do with the way that certain bars or restaurants are licensed. And some of them are licensed as a bar, and others that you would consider purely a bar are licensed as a restaurant. So the problem is, is that, uh, let's use Outback as an example. An Outback in one part of Phoenix may be licensed as a bar, but the one in another part of Phoenix, that's five or ten miles down the road, is licensed as a restaurant so you would have to know then what type of a license that place had you know if it said uh, you know it it only applies to restaurants and not to bars. so it becomes problematic trying to figure out which place would have been legal for you to carry in if it had passed now I I think that eventually something will be worked out to allow uh, CCW people to carry into, uh, you know, both something that's considered a restaurant and then also something that's considered a bar, Um, I I think eventually the wording will have to be, you know, you can take it in there as long as there's no, the person who's carrying is no consumption. And I think there's a couple of states that already have something that's very similar to that. So, kind of getting back to having the the right equipment. Um, You know, we, we have to try and minimize the amount of time that we become uh, more vulnerable to uh, potentially dangerous situations and, and dangerous people. Because we all know that just because we're armed, that there's not going to be uh, you know, a force field of protection around us. And, and we also know that being armed doesn't guarantee that we're going to walk away from a dangerous or potentially lethal situation. But it does give us something that is probably one of the most important things that we can ever have, and that is it being armed gives us a much greater chance to, you know, quote unquote, walk away from a situation than the people who choose not to carry. I, I think we should always try to do our best to buy and carry the right equipment for the job. One of the things for me that I consider very important is I consider our clothes, what we wear, to be just as important as our guns and our holster system. And yes, it's a holster system. Uh, you, you have to have a good belt to go with your holster. Don't, don't cheap out on the belt. Uh, you wouldn't go scuba diving with a tank that could only hold... Five minutes of air because it was a hundred dollars cheaper than the one that held 45 minutes so you don't want a crummy belt where your gun's going to be flopping around and could potentially fall out kind of another you know speaking of that another quick aside if you haven't listened to episode i believe it's number eight of the pro arms podcast that gail did make sure that you listen to it Uh, The focus of it is primarily for women's issues concerning the differences in training and equipment. Now, having said that, for the fellows out there, we can learn volumes and volumes from that episode. That has become one of my favorite episodes that I've heard. Uh, So kind of getting back again. We talk a lot about having the right holster system. And grips and lasers and night sights and trigger jobs and ammo and spare magazines and backup guns for our backup guns and on and on and on. But sometimes I think we forget about our basic stuff, just the fundamentals, if you will. The basic things are are things like your shirt, your pants or shorts or your skirt or your dress. Um, Also, your type of footwear. And for me, the most important thing is your is your footwear. Now, stay with me here and don't turn off the show just yet. Before we look at footwear, let's let's talk about clothing. Mostly, when we talk about clothing, we're looking primarily at the concealability of it. You know, how well does this shirt keep me from imprinting? Um, if I'm carrying a, a small gun in my front pants pocket are the pockets big enough to hide it or at least camouflage the fact that I have a gun but we still need to ask other questions about our clothes Uh, questions like if I'm carrying in my front pocket are my pants now too tight for me to effectively clear the gun out of that front pocket so if I were to shove my hand in there and grab that pistol I'm making a fist well is now is my fist kinda preventing my hand from coming out nice and smooth is my shirt too tight, or is it too loose? If it's too tight, is it going to bind when I go to try and, and get the gun out of my waistband? Or if it's way too loose and billowy, am I going to get wrapped up in the shirt a little bit? Um, if I have to squat down or take a knee, are my are my clothes going to accommodate that action? Can I run in the clothes? Uh, so, so basically, is what I am wearing kind of going to, flow with me or is it going to flow against me so now let's get back to talking about uh, shoes or footwear and again i I think this is the most overlooked article of clothing and i know some of you out there now are saying really shoes really that's what you're talking about and like i said it to me it's one of the most important it's, it's probably the most important part of what you're wearing Uh, You know, think of it as, you have to think of it as part of your self-defense system, if you will. You know, most people don't give a second thought to their tires. Uh, But take them off your car and see how far you're going to go. And you surely wouldn't want to drive around on bald, you know, worn out tires. Where I live, it's very hot in the summer. And lots of, lots of people out here wear flip-flops. And I know they're comfortable and they're quick to take on and off. But these are probably the absolute worst thing you can wear. Uh, When it's 116 degrees, the parking lot or the sidewalk will literally fry an egg. And if you're going in and out of a store, the movies, a restaurant or whatever, and you have to run or move quickly and one or both of those flip-flops goes flying off, your feet are going to tell you real quick just how hot that pavement. I mean, your feet are going—they're going to burn. Literally, they're going to burn. Um, you're not going to be able to concentrate on what's going on around you. You know, also, kind of a little bit different tack. A lot of people out here also wear wear cowboy boots, and that's good, and that's fine. But cowboy boots were made and designed to help you stay in the saddle. And lots of cowboy boots have uh, leather soles, especially if they're kind of the dress kind of boots. And they don't give you much traction on that slick polished linoleum floor in the supermarket or sometimes if it's a little slick out in the parking lot. And you can say the same thing for uh, a lot of men's and women's dress shoes. There's not much in the way of support uh, or traction. They're designed, you know, basically for aesthetics. Um, so I always, for me, I always try to wear, uh, some type of a sneaker or maybe a lightweight, um, hiking boot with good rubber soles. And that way I've got good support and good traction. And if I have to run or if I have to try to climb over a block wall, uh, maybe to get to some cover or just to get away, I don't want to drop down. Uh, barefoot on broken, on broken glass or sharp rocks because my shoes fell off. And I also don't want to to slip and fall when I'm trying to sidestep and aim at the same time because the soles of my shoes are too slick. So getting back to my story about the, the little desert adventure that I had. One thing that I did do right was that I had a, a really good pair of broken in hiking boots and I was wearing uh, lightweight wool blend hiking socks. And even though I walked probably a little bit over four miles in very hot water or hot water, in very hot weather, I got no, uh, I got no blisters and my feet did not overheat. And, and so that's a real good example of, of when having the right equipment made it easier for me. It didn't solve all my problems. But what it did do is it did prevent new ones from arising. You know, it's like that old saying, you know, be good to your feet and they'll be good to you. Uh, One more thing about equipment in general. I know that for me, a lot of times I have questions about what type of things I should buy. Um, You know, how do I tell or how do I know what's good and, and what's basically garbage? And an old guy I used to work with gave me some advice you know, on that very thing. And his advice was that when you look, when you're looking to buy something, and it doesn't matter what it is, ask yourself two questions. Question number one is, what was this thing designed to do? And question number two is, how well does it do that thing? And I find that when I applied those criteria, I am probably nine times out of ten happy uh, with what I decided that, that, I, uh, that I had gotten. So when we hear those little voices in our head, which one do we listen to? Uh, do we as armed citizens go out into the world with the bare minimum, or in some cases worse than that, with less than the minimum? Do we take the time and effort to do what is needed to make sure that we're giving ourselves the best possible chance to survive that potentially lethal threat or situation? Are we doing everything we can to come home to our families or protect them when they're with us? And these are some serious questions to ponder. And if if the answer, in part, let's say, to some of those questions is as simple as, Wearing some good shoes or the right kind of pants or shirt. We owe it to ourselves and our families to have that strong foundation so that we've kind of built our house, so to speak, on solid rock and not on shifting sand. Alright, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up and uh, bid you guys farewell for today. If you want to have a little fun, the theme music that I played at the start of the show, and also I'm going to play uh, another theme uh, going out. If you want, go over to the forums, uh, sign up there, and under either feedback or episode discussion, uh, if you want, we'll have a little contest. And uh, if you can get both of them, you'll win, uh, well, you won't win squat, but you'll be able to say you got them right, so... All right, well, I'm signing off for today. You guys stay safe, stay informed, and as always, we'll save a spot for you at our table here at the Firearms Cafe. Iron first one may be hard, but this last one should be pretty easy. Also, if you guys want to contact me, you can send me an email at firearmscafe at gmail.com. Or like I said before, if if you're on the forums, you can always just go ahead and and, uh, drop a comment for me over there. Wanted to take some time to remind you guys of the other podcasts that we have. There's Mark Vandenberg with Gun Rights Uh, advocate podcast matt long does gun rights news eric shelton is still uh, cranking them out at the uh, handgun podcast ken blanchard is doing the urban shooter it's always a good one mick mccart with the armed citizen podcast doc wesson is back from uh, battling the uh, thunder and lightning gods and he came out on top and he's doing the shot show again Gail Pepin is still going strong over at the uh, Pro Arms podcast. And we've also got the Roundtable, which is our Gun Rights Radio Network, and that's one that we kind of forget about to mention sometimes. So, uh, And that's one where uh, we get as many podcasters as we can, and we do a Roundtable discussion of current events and news. Also, uh, sort of saved the best for last there, uh, Sean Horton over at the Militant Marksman, uh, you guys check him out. Remember, he's in and around, I think, the Chicago area. And if you um, are looking for maybe some firearms instruction, don't don't forget that Sean is certified NRA instructor in both pistol and rifle. Uh, so if you're new to firearms or if you'd like to get some training, go ahead and... Uh, uh, either contact uh, Sean either through the forums or you can uh, go directly over to his website and uh, contact him there. And you can drop Sean a email, I believe at militantmarksman at AOL.com. And that's all one word. And so like I said, if you are out in that area and would like a, uh, a good guy who will treat you right, uh, to give you an introduction to some firearms, go ahead and give Sean a uh, uh, an email or contact him, and uh, he'll get you set up and get you started on that. Well, other than that, hope you guys have a good rest of the week. Again, stay safe, stay informed. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. gunrightsradio.com